Welcome, everyone, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and I want to welcome all of our viewers. Thank you for tuning in. It's been uh, quite a busy week last week. I hope you guys got to tune in. We had a lot of great guests, and we wrapped it up all nicely yesterday with the great Michael Satrazimus. Michael is always amazing to talk to, and I would love to make that a yearly thing. At the, uh, the wrap of every season of Fear the Walking Dead, get Michael on here so we can wrap up the season with him and give us, have him share his insights on being the executive producer and director of Fear the Walking Dead. So I hope all you guys enjoyed that very much, as much as I did. Want to welcome Khaleesi, Lin- Lindsay Sparks, all the way from Canada. Philip Thompson saying happy Monday. Welcome to you guys. We have Gary, Jen joining us as well. Welcome to all of everybody who is joining us tonight. I hope everyone is doing well. So tomorrow we have the privilege to be joined by the very lovely Natalie Brown. Now, Natalie has been in a lot of stuff, and you guys know who Natalie is. She was in Saw 5, but I got to tell you, my favorite role for Natalie has to be in the show The Strain. Now, The Strain was an FX show that, in my opinion, was really underrated. Uh, But to its credit, it didn't get canceled or any of that. I think it lasted four seasons and it went through its entire story all the way through to the ending. And it was wrapped up nice and neat. But it's a great vampire story. But not your classic vampires with fangs and all that other stuff. No, no, this was totally different. Now, these are monsters uh, controlled by a single entity who they call the Master. Uh, whose origins go back thousands of years and it had such a great cast to go along with natalie brown i mean you had the awesome let's see it to the cast david bradley okay who played abraham satrakian on the show now david bradley walder frey come on you know who walder frey is from game of thrones also you know uh harry potter the great housekeeper in harry potter as well He's awesome. Corey Stoll, Kevin Durand, just an excellent cast in that show to go along with Natalie Brown. And Natalie Brown, if you guys choose to watch this show, to binge watch the four, I believe it was four seasons. If you guys choose to binge watch The Strain, um, I'm not going to spoil too much for you, but Natalie is in almost in every season but she changes very quickly from the onset. So, but she has a big use for the master. Anyway, she's going to be joining us tomorrow. We have a special start time tomorrow. We're going to be starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, And again, of course, our guest is going to be Natalie Brown. So you guys are not going to want to miss that. Uh, Khaleesi saying Kevin was the exterminator, wasn't he? Yes, the very badass exterminator. Uh, he was awesome in that as well. Great cast. It was just a great cast. Great show. In my opinion, really underrated. Why it was underrated? I mean, it had its loyal viewers, or else it would have just gotten canceled after one season. But it shouldn't got. It should have got a lot more media attention than it did. That's my opinion. So let's go on to some news. And it's been a while since we did a little bit of news. 
So I feel like watching some trailers today. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like watching some trailers. Now here's another one from uh, the upcoming Netflix horror movie called A Classic Story. So let's just go ahead and check this out and read what the article says. Azione. Ciao! Sono Elisa e sto andando dai miei per le vacanze. Di che cosa si ciba il clown di it? Bambini. Paura. I bambini sono solo un mezzo. Pennywise mangia la loro paura. Two good movies. Andate in strada e cercate aiuto. Non c'è nessuna strada. We're in the middle of the woods. Oh, that don't look good. Non siamo i primi. Che cos'è? È la leggenda di Osso Mastrosa Carcagnosso. La gente moriva di fame e loro promisero di salvarli. Ma non sa mai niente per niente. Perché adesso non lo dice? Questo è proprio il classico film dell'orrore. Sai come si esce da questa foresta? Che vuol dire che non è una foresta? Something's up with her. Sei la più preziosa qui. Now that, all right, all right. That looks interesting. That looks interesting. It's called a classic horror story, and I like what they did there. They're actually referencing real horror movies. I don't know if you guys could see the uh, the subtitles. I hope you can. But they, uh, in the beginning of the trailer, they were uh, referencing uh, Pennywise from the It movies and the book. Uh, so it's like a little bit of Scream. Remember Scream, the original? How they were all fascinated with serial killers from horror movies? So that's why it's called a classic horror story. But that looks really interesting. Now, the plot involves five people traveling by a camper crash into a tree, which we just saw. When they recover, the road they were driving on has been replaced by an impenetrable forest and a wooden house. The, the cast includes Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz, Francesco Russo, uh, Pepino Mazzotta, Will Merrick, and Yulia Sobol. So that's all there is for that. But we got a trailer, and I got to say, that looks pretty damn good. So let's see. What else do we have for you? All right. The Chestnut Man, another Netflix uh, movie the Netflix summons new horror series to premiere this fall and Let's just go ahead and watch this trailer
Okay, that is a teaser. If anything else, yeah, it is a teaser. Going to all these foreign language films, uh, you know, you guys as horror fans, I hope you enjoy watching films from all over the world that are subtitled. I know there are a lot of people who don't like watching subtitled movies. Uh, I personally, even English movies, I I always watch them with subtitles. Uh, I don't want to miss a word. And yeah, the subtitles are never 100% accurate, no matter who does the subtitling. But there has been some great horror movies to come out from overseas, uh, especially Southeast Asia. They have come out with some freaky, freaky movies, and Indonesia in particular. So the article on this says, If you find one, he's already found you. From the creator of The Killing, it's a great film, a great series, comes Netflix's upcoming original horror series called The Chestnut Man, a Danish crime thriller that's based on the acclaimed novel of the same title. In the upcoming Netflix series, a young woman is found brutally murdered in Copenhagen Playground. Above her hangs a small doll made of chestnuts. Now, we just saw the trailer, and that's it. That's all we have. No more information beyond that. They're, you know, Netflix is just dropping us all these little teasers, and more information is going to come out as the summer progresses, no doubts. Khaleesi writes, I never tried until you was talking about Train to Busan. Now I own it. And the second one on DVD. Want to welcome Tyler saying, Sup, Viz. You mentioned a Pennywise reference. I missed it. Tried to get back and see. I'm lost. Well, Tyler, to catch you up, in the previous trailer that we saw uh, for for a Netflix movie that's coming out called A Classic Horror, uh, it I sort of referenced it to Scream because they reference known horror movies in the trailer. So that's why I brought up Pennywise because they brought up Pennywise in the trailer. Want to welcome Zoe who's just joined us as well. Thank you guys for tuning in. So let's get rid of this. Now, Fangoria. Yes, Fangoria is still around. On autism and horror. And we have seen quite a few. And they've all been pretty really, they've all been really good too. The genre has long provided a powerful voice for marginalized communities. When then will it do the same for those who are neurodivergent? When I was a kid, my primary exposure to horror movies, movies was merely through their DVD covers. The films in the genre always seem too daunting and too likely to cause nightmares to be worth actually watching. But peeking at the covers of horror films at the local blockbuster or half-priced books, that was manageable. As I clutched the various copies of classic horror films like The Blair Witch Project or Scream, this must be a young person. Uh, for me, The Blair Witch Project and Scream maybe Scream, have not reached classic status yet. I don't know. You know. For me, classic is, you know, Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Halloween, the original. But anyway, I imagine what kind of movies could be contained with those videotapes. What chilling cinematic secrets awaited underneath those enticing covers? Whatever horror films I imagined in my adolescent brain, 
It's doubtful any of them involved characters who were like me, because few, if any, of the characters in these horror films were on the autism spectrum. After all, mainstream films largely ignore autistic individuals unless it's a narrative where somebody autistic helps guide a neurotypical protagonist through life lessons. The erasure of autism in cinema extends to horror as well, a trend scarier than anything Freddy Krueger could come up with. This doesn't mean horror cinema has entirely been devoid of characters on the autism spectrum. Two separate films from the last five years have both featured autistic characters in prominent roles. Despite coming from entirely different filmmakers, both movies ended up indulging in similar problems that plague most media depictions of autism. First, the 2020 film Come Play, the feature-length di directorial debut of writer-director Jacob Chase. Come Play concerns adolescent Oliver, who has a non-verbal form of autism. This child uses his iPad to communicate with others, and among his passionate interests, enjoys watching SpongeBob SquarePants. Eventually, Oliver discovers that a monster named Larry is hiding within his tablet. And this film, Come Play, again, not a lot of attention uh, came to this film. I've seen this film. It is a great movie. Uh, so if you want to check it out, please do. Though Larry claims he just wants to be Oliver's friend, the possessive attitude Larry exhibits towards Oliver makes it clear that this is an invisible figure that has sinister plans for the child. Basically, it's a demon that is hiding in the tablet. And what makes this movie so unique is they actually give you the viewpoint of the demon looking out from the iPad. Very unique. In certain ways, Oliver is an improvement on past autistic film characters, horror or otherwise. Now, just to say something here, I have a child on the autism spectrum. He's low on the autism spectrum, but he is on the spectrum. So, I am glad for movies, especially in the horror genre, that are bringing to light uh, stuff that was usually stuffed in the closet in the past. So, kudos, and I would love to see more of it. Now, for starters, the film isn't afraid to explicitly label Oliver as autistic. So many films opt to have characters exhibit behaviors associated with autism, but never go so far as to utilize the term. Come Play wants viewers to be scared of many things that go bump in the night, but it doesn't want to instill fear over someone being autistic. That's interesting. Um, in another welcome departure from the norm, Oliver is shown to be an inactive participant of the plot in several scenes, as well as harboring a desire to be social and is even the only character aware of Larry's nefariousness from the get-go, 
What a welcome contrast to the more passive roles autistic people are usually reduced to in cinema. Plus, it's cool that Oliver has a love for SpongeBob SquarePants, a nice touch that reflects how the cartoon is a staple of many real-world individuals in the autistic community. On a personal note, it was also surreal to see a mainstream film nonchalantly depict an in-classroom helper for Oliver. What they're referring to there is the scenes where they show Oliver in school. He does have a teacher, or I mean, we assume it's part of the school system. Maybe she's not, whatever, but she is there specifically for Oliver sitting next to him. I have never seen an autistic character in movies have the kind of academic assistant I had in my public education experience. So weird to see a tiny aspect of your life reflected in cinema for the first time. Imagine if more artistic film characters evoked reality in such a striking manner. Unfortunately, for every step forward in handling artistic characters, there are also steps backwards in come play. For starters, the film hinges on how there's a strain on Oliver's parents, Sarah and Marty, caused by their son's autism. It's a pity there couldn't be a more creative way to reflect a wedge being drawn between these characters, given how many movies depict autism as a burden on parental figures. Sarah's relationship with Oliver, meanwhile, is defined by her desire to get him to finally talk and make eye contact with her, two aspects made impossible by Oliver's autism. For a moment, in the third act, it looks like Come Play will eschew the, well, sorry, will eschew the easy payoff to, the, to these desires by having Sarah accept Oliver's autistic traits by saying, I know you're still listening to me, probably more than I'm listening to you. Unfortunately, the script has a bad habit of leaning heavily on distractingly convenient outcomes. As a result, Come Play doesn't just have Sarah work with unique aspects of her son. Instead, several key climactic moments in Come Play entail things like Oliver finally speaking as well as making eye contact with his mother. Here, Come Play tries to convey a sense of triumph, though Oliver's overcoming aspects of himself tied into his autism, all in the name of trying, of tying a tidy bow on his character. And listen, my opinion on this, and yeah, I'm going to share it. There's a reason why autism is a spectrum, okay? There are no preset defined uh, symptoms. It's a spectrum. You could be low on the spectrum. You could be halfway up the spectrum. You could be high on the spectrum. You could be anywhere in between. But it's a spectrum. I get this author's frustration. Do I agree with him? No. Or her. Sorry, I don't know who wrote this. Do I agree with them? I do not. Um, so I saw this movie. I didn't, being a parent, 
uh, yeah, I have a kid who is very low on the spectrum, but he is on the spectrum. I do not feel the frustrations they are trying to relay in this article. But again, I have to go back and point out that his situation might be completely different. Autism is something that is different from person to person. It has very varying degrees of severity, I guess, for lack of a better term, even though I don't like using that term. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a spectrum. So I understand them. I respect their opinion. Uh, I understand their frustration. But it's a great movie. It's a movie at the end of the day. All right. And it is focused on a child with autism. And that is something that would not have been heard of in the 80s. In fact, the first movie that I can recall that ever paid any attention to autism was not even a horror movie. It was a great movie, a nominated movie. I'm not sure if it won, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Rain Man with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Now that was... A person really high up on the spectrum. And Dustin Hoffman portrayed it brilliantly. Tom Cruise, his brother in the movie, his portrayal was brilliant. It's an, it's an amazing movie. And uh, it just also, what I love about that movie is that it highlighted how, yeah, people with autism might lack certain social skills, but what they lack in one area, they have in areas that other people don't. Now, Rain Man, great movie, but it set a precedent for people, including myself. I can't exclude myself from this list. When I was first, when we first found out about my kid being on the spectrum, my mind went immediately to Rain Man because that's how, that's how I was programmed. And that's not the case. That's not totally not the case. The, in the movie Rain Man and, and the autism that Dustin Hoffman had was really high up on the spectrum. But it just goes to show you that movies do have an impact on us. They impact our way of seeing things, especially when you're watching them at a young age. And Rain Man came out a long, long time ago. So just a little example there. Colette writes, he was brilliant with numbers. Absolutely. That was his talent. And Tom Cruise, of course, his brother using that to his advantage was not his best moment as a brother being desperate for cash, but we'll leave that out. <laughs> uh, so Lindsay says, I agree with you on the article. Thank you, guys. Let's move on. So American Horror Stories, new poster. Uh, this is for American Horror Stories. This is the anthology series, not to be confused with American Horror Story, which is the new uh, season, season 10, is called Double Feature. 
This is the episodic anthology where each episode is going to be something different. And here's a new poster for American Horror Stories. I think it's great. When I first saw this, I'm like, it's Catwoman looking at the murder house. But yeah, that is murder house. Murder House Season 1 of American Horror Story just doesn't seem to want to go away. And I love that. It's one of my favorite seasons, the premiere season. And when it came out, the the title Murder House was not attached to it. It was just American Horror Story. It wasn't until, like, Season 2 came out, where they labeled it Asylum, that they went back to Season 1 and gave it the title of Murder House. When American Horror Story premiered, it was just called American Horror Story. And then with each new story, each new season that started coming out, that's when they started adding the uh, subheadings or the subtitles after American Horror Story. Now it's better known as AHS. Anyway, the American Horror Story universe is expanding not only with the 10th season of the main series, but also a brand new spinoff called American Horror horror stories uh, both coming this summer fx is calling it the american horror summer and today they've shared an official poster for the spin-off series that takes you back to where it all began murder house the suggestion here is that certain episodes may be revisiting ahs storylines and why wouldn't they For starters, the first two episodes of American Horror Stories will premiere July 15th exclusively on FX on Hulu. Wow, okay. Now, with American Horror Stories Season 10 premiering August 25th, the Ryan Murphy-created spinoff series will feature one-hour contained episodes while the 10th season of the flagship series is titled American Horror Story Double Feature. Murphy explains the spinoff, we are doing one-hour standalone episodes delving into horror myths, legends, and lore. Many will feature AHS horror stars you know and love. American Horror Stories will feature seven episodes in total. That's at least for season one. As if it's going to take off, which I'm pretty sure it is, uh, coming from the same creators. Who knows? They may expand to a bunch more episodes when it comes time for season two. So this is a great poster. Like I said, for me, this poster reminds me of of Catwoman. I'm sorry, but the full leather jumpsuit. I know there have been many seasons where we've seen somebody in full leather outfits in American Horror Story. But for me, this reminds me of Catwoman. To be more specific, Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. That's right. From Batman, the 90s Batman with Michael Keating, the second one. Uh, It reminds me of her. I don't know why, but it does. And just in that red grass looking at the murder house. So there you guys have it. It's premiering July 15th. Not on FX Cable, but FX on Hulu. So if you just have cable or satellite and you've got the FX channel, apparently you won't be able to watch it unless you have Hulu, which is just another indicator that everything is moving to the streaming market. Colette is laughing on that Michelle Pfeiffer thing. It does. I'm sorry. To me, it reminds me of Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. All right. 
Now, Sensor Review, a thrilling, eerie horror film that blurs reality. Sensor is chilling and assured horror that blurs the line of reality for its protagonist as she delves into which makes her most vulnerable. Now, we've talked about this before. Sensor captivates the senses as it explores the psychological implications of long-standing and unresolved grief. First-time feature film director Prano Bailey Bond, who directs from a screenplay by her and Anthony Fletcher, creates a world that is immersive, eerie, and captivating. Sensor is chilling and assured horror that blurs the line of reality for its protagonist as she delves into that which makes her most vulnerable. Set in 1985, What's up with all these movies being set in the 80s? Uh, the Jin, which whose star Ezra Dewey we had as our guest on Friday, was set in 1989. More and more movies are being set in the 80s. Some with explainable reasons, because they do a flash-forward to the present day. The Jin, uh, as an example, set in 1989... It did not need to be set in 1989. There was no flash forward, no nothing. Uh, So, maybe the only reason I can think of, I know it's still new, I know a lot of you have not watched it yet, but the only reason I can think of is if they want to do or are hoping to do a sequel and bring it to the present day where Ezra Dewey's character where he was just a teenage boy, uh, and they bring it into the present day, and he's an adult. That's the only reason I can think of, but it's said in 1985, Enid works as a movie censor, cutting down on films which, with too much horror, violence, and sex. She, cha- she takes her job very seriously, making decisions day in and day out, on what is sufficient enough for audience to see when the final product is released. She is still grieving the loss of her sister, who disappeared decades prior and whose face Enid sees often in strangers passing by. Her job, typically tedious and sometimes dull, takes a turn when a man kills his family, similar to a murder he saw in a movie, that got past the censors. Come on. With the public enraged and blaming Enid and her colleague for the violence, she begins spiraling after seeing a movie depicting a scene seemingly seemingly plucked from her very own past. Now, starring Alice Lee, Sophia Laporta, an actress who bears a striking resemblance to Enid's sister. Censor offers a message steeped in the ways in which the system seeks to control what audiences are allowed to watch, what's too gory for them, what's borderline traumatic, and what's too dark to be seen. The irony comes when Enid goes in search of other video nasty films, typically low-budget horror that bypass censorship before falling under scrutiny for being too horrific and exploitive. Uh, Directed by the mysterious Frederick North, 
The lines blur between what is and isn't real as Enid's psychological state deteriorates. The length the lengths that she will go to to find out whether Alice Lee is or isn't her sister are concerning, and it also speaks to her buried grief that she isn't able to let go and move like her parents are trying to do. Now, personally, come on, all right? I mean, this movie does sound interesting, but, I mean, long gone are the days... At least I thought they were gone of blaming ratings people for what we see on television. The way I see it is, this is my take on it. The ratings people, whether it be the MPAA or any other ratings, is their job is to put whether it's appropriate for 13 or older, 14 or older, or, you know nc-17 whatever but as far as them making decisions as to what needs to be cut out of a movie for it to be released nah nah i'm sorry i don't buy that one bit not for a second uh those days should be long behind us by now anyway check this out mickey wark and yeah that is mickey wark and Jennifer Carpenter are cast in a supernatural horror movie. Mickey, Mickey, Mickey. Mickey Rourke and Jennifer Cap, uh, Carpenter have been cast in the new supernatural horror story of a desperate widower titled She's Still Here. Now, Mickey Rourke and, again, Jennifer Carpenter have been... Oh, God, what? They repeat this three times? Rourke, best known for his uh, work in the films The Pope of Greenwich Village, Rumblefish, and The Wrestler, they left one out, Angel Heart. That's a great freaking movie. Uh, Angel Heart with Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro. Watch it. Has also appeared in a trio of horror movies. The actor previously starred in 1987. Oh, there you go. The actor previously starred in 1987's Angel Heart. 1987's Dead in Tombstone and 2019's Nightmare Cinema. He's been the mainstay of cinema for almost 50 years. Wow. And can take the take a role to its highest heights when presented with the right material. Works made headlines recently by criticizing Marvel's Iron Man 2, something he's been vocal about for a while. What's his beef with Iron Man 2? Carpenter's career doesn't span as many decades as Warks, but she still put together a solid filmography. Audiences are familiar with her work from her role as Deborah Morgan in Dexter. She's appeared in a variety of projects, including other TV shows, movies, and video games. Like Warks, she has a history with the horror genre, and now the two are teaming up for the new film. According to Deadline, Wark and Carpenter have signed on to star in the movie She's Still Here, which will be directed by twins Anthony and James Guadioso. Production is set to begin this fall. Check out the plot synopsis from Deadline below. So here's a synopsis. She's Still Here tells the story of a desperate widower 
who is being tormented by the vengeful spirit of his deceased wife. Exasperated, he enlists the aid of his ghost-hunting nephew to decipher the haunting's meaning and bring peace to his household. You even have a snapshot. This is not from uh, the new movie. This is Jennifer Carpenter from uh, the, uh, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. Carpenter is a familiar face in horror and the supernatural genre. She starred as the potentially, potentially, really? Potentially? Possessed woman in 2005's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Potentially. She's also appeared in the 2014 Frightener, The Devil's Hand, and 2008's Awesome Quarantine. While little is known about the character she'll play, Carpenter's ability to give a standout performance and lay important character groundwork will likely stand up powerfully alongside the abilities of the acting superstar, then meaning Ward. But Jennifer Carpenter is a superstar in her own right who was potentially possessed by, what was it, six demons, seven demons in the exorcism of Emily Rose? Potentially. Or she was having a really bad day. That's the other explanation. Uh, Colette writes, loved Angel Heart. The twist in Angel Heart at the end was amazing. Uh, I mean, to explain the plot would be too complicated to do it in like a paragraph or less. You guys just have to watch the movie. If you've never watched Angel Heart with Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro, just watch it. I mean, I can't even possibly begin to explain it. The twist is so wicked in the end. It's amazing. So, now, Patrick Wilson, who is very well known for his roles in Insidious and, of course, The Conjuring. More known for The Conjuring than Insidious. The Conjuring has gone on to spawn a franchise. Insidious is just as good. Now, he has served as the lead for two major James Wan-created horror franchises, those being, of course, The Conjuring and Insidious. But which is better? Patrick Wilson has served, there we go, with repeating the same freaking lines. Wilson could arguably be considered a muse for Wan, having been his choice to star in both of those series as well as play the villainous King Orm in DC's Aquar- sorry, Aquaman movies. Juan can also basically be thanked for making Wilson a known commodity to the eternal loyal bunch known as horror fans, as he's gone on the carve to carve out a niche within the genre outside of his work with Juan, such as in the horror western Bone Tomahawk, and the Netflix Stephen King adaptation in the tall grass. Now let's just see really quickly how they rate his uh, roles in The Conjuring versus Insidious. Which franchise is scarier? Conjuring. Feel free to chime in. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna read what they say. This is an opinion type piece anyway. So I'm gonna share my opinion. Which is scarier? Insidious is scary, but I would have to go with The Conjuring. Now, which franchise is more creative? 
Insidious. Insidious is definitely more creative. Which franchise is more consistent? That's a tough one. I would probably lean with The Conjuring. Now, what else? Which Patrick Wilson horror franchise is better? You guys know I'm a big Conjuring fan, so I'm going to lean more towards The Conjuring. I love the Insidious movies. I really do. But I am a big Conjuring fan, so I'm, that's where my loyalties are going to lie. Gone to my head if I had to choose. So next, the 10 best horror movies that question reality. Man, I, you know, no, no, let's keep going. No, not going there. 10 horror movies, you see, Screen Rant loves their lists. And boy, do they have a lot of lists. They come up with the wackiest lists. And to continue, 10 horror movie villains who could have been redeemed, but were not. And this is similar to another list that we've done. But that's... Right, let's see what they have. Oh, you know, I think we've done this already. Yeah, we have done this already. Anyway, that's it for the news. All right. You know, Screen Rant, we love you. We love your list. You know, can only just take it in small bunches at a time, though. Uh, Lisa writes... Uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm not going to repeat it out loud, though. I'm, I, I see what you guys are saying. I'm not repeating it out loud, though. So let's get into today's topic. Famous horror movie cops. All right? There's a topic you don't hear very often. Now, when it comes to fam famous horror movie cops, there are heroes, there are villains, and occasionally, in a horror movie, there are cops. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but always involved, we're looking at the best cops horror movies have to offer. Now, you know how I feel about Jaws being labeled a horror movie. I have not found many people to agree with me on this one, including my brother. He definitely does see Jaws as a horror movie, but I, to this day, still have a hard time placing Jaws in the horror category. But, going with the mainstream crowd, let's put Jaws in the horror category just for tonight. And, of course, Chief Brody. Okay, played brilliantly by Roy Schneider. Was a good cop in a corrupt town. And what we mean by corrupt town was... The town of Amityville is 4th of July weekend. There's a shark attack. Brody is warning the town's officials do not open the beach for the July 4th holiday. He even goes as far as telling them that the blood will be on their hands. Of course, he's right. And we all know how that works out for the town of Amity. Not to be confused with Amityville. Now, next... Sheriff Lee Brackett, the famous Lee Brackett from Halloween 1978. There are rumors, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, that they are bringing Sheriff Brackett back for Halloween Kills. I am not sure if that has been confirmed or not, but that would be interesting. 
Now, it was played by Charles Cypher Stearns. Uh, he was the Haddonfield Sheriff. Uh, it is true. Okay, good. Marco, our producer, chimed in. They are bringing back Sheriff Brackett. And that will be interesting. Because remember, Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, to, you know, it all happens after the original Halloween. you got to disregard every other movie that we've seen previously. So they are bringing back Sheriff Brackett. And it's the original Sheriff Brackett. They're bringing him back. That is going to be damn cool. Uh, in Halloween 2018, uh, the cop that we saw in that movie was like a young deputy at the time where the 1978 Halloween murders happened. And he was one of the first people to arrive on the scene where Michael Myers was taken into custody. And he spent 40 years in custody before escaping in 2018. Now, let's go on to some FBI profilers. The infamous behavioral analysis unit of the FBI. Will Graham. Been in oh, a lot of movies. Manhunter, Red Dragon. Will Graham was the main protagonist for Hannibal Lecter being the antagonist before Clarice Starling came along. Now, those of you out there that watched Hannibal the series, uh, not only that, have watched the movie uh, Red Dragon as well. You are very familiar with the character of Will Graham. Ed Norton played Will Graham in the movie. Hugh Dancy played Will Graham in the TV series. He's a very damaged cop. But he has a gift. He can walk into a crime scene and he has this gift of re, just reconstructing the crime, which for the behavioral analysis unit of the FBI is a tool you cannot just look the other way on. Uh, he's the one that actually brought down Hannibal Lecter. Now, the way it's done from the TV show in the final season that we got from it, as opposed to Red Dragon and the beginning of Red Dragon, uh, it's done, you know, kind of differently. Now, he's a very psychologically damaged person, to say the least. He falls, uh, before realizing who Hannibal Lecter is, who is brought in to help the BAU, uh, little did they know that they were bringing a serial killer onto their team. Uh, Will also seeks therapy from Hannibal Lecter. And it's ha and now going to the TV show, Hannibal Lecter actually is fascinated with Will Graham. He, in fact, in one episode, calls Will Graham 100% just empathetic. That's his description of Will Graham. And... Uh, well, he basically, just like with Hannibal does with all his patients, he wants to bring out the evil side of them and make him out to be what he is. And that is basically a monster. So that's Will Graham. Now we move on to Clarice Starling. I'm still pissed off that Clarice has been canceled, by the way. Silence of the Lambs, 1991, Academy Award-winning performance by, of course, Jodie Foster. She battles adversity as she's tested between her assignments and her capabilities in the behavioral crimes, which then 
in 91 is called Behavioral Sciences Unit. It's not the Behavioral Analysis Unit. It was renamed many years later. So the Behavioral Sciences Unit, if you abbreviate it, it's the BS Unit. That's what the majority of FBI agents thought of in regards to behavioral analysis when it was first uh, found. Now, staying with the whole BAU thing, you know, there's a great series on Netflix that I don't talk about as often as I should. It's called Mindhunter. Two full seasons are out already. And if you want to find out, uh, at least get a story on how the behavioral sciences unit was formed. And besides it just being a freaking awesome show, watch Mind Hunter. If you have uh, Netflix, go to it, look up Mind Hunter. You already have two seasons ready to watch. I believe it is coming back, although it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I do believe it is coming back for a third season. If you want to see how the behavioral analysis unit, which was made even more famous, on the 15 year, 15 season show, Criminal Minds. If you're a fan of Criminal Minds, you know all about the BAU. But if you wanna get the backstory on how the Behavioral Sciences Unit was started and what the rest of the FBI really thought of profiling, watch Mindhunter. That'll give you a really good idea. Now, Detective William Somerset. That's right, we're going to seven. Uh, two unique detectives in a dirty city that the rain never stops, except for the final act when they go out into the desert. Detective Mills transferred to homicide, that's of course played by Brad Pitt, wanting to do good in a big city. Of course, Morgan Freeman plays the veteran cop that they're paired up with. There's a series of murders. Two cops, one a veteran, one a, you know, hothead in Brad Pitt. One of the best horror movies to ever come out, and that is Seven. Kevin Spacey plays uh, brilliantly the twisted bad guy in it. Uh, I I don't think there's a person here who has not watched Seven. Uh, that ending with also the movie starring Gwyneth Paltrow, and her head being delivered to uh, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman is just one of those endings that can never be replicated, ever. And you know what? I don't think anyone's even tried. That's how good it was. That's how creative it was. I don't think anybody's tried to imitate it. Because you will never even come close. No matter how hard you try, you will never imitate the uh, surprise ending of Seven. That's how brilliant it was. So we put on here Deputy Dewey Riley from Scream. You gotta love Deputy uh, Dewey Riley from Scream. All right, David Arquette. Uh, Detective John Hobbs, Fallen, 1998, Denzel Washington. Sheriff Bill Party, Slither, 2006. Deputy Frank Hawkins, now, this is Halloween 2008. Like I said, he was the first responder to the 78 Halloween murders. Uh, he saw exactly what happened that night in 1978. And unfortunately, he doesn't make it out of Halloween 2018. Now, uh, some more 
notable cops on this list. Detective Ezekiel Zeke Banks from Spiral, the book of Saw. This is still a new movie. I'm not going to ruin it for anybody out there. That's just a small list of some of the notable cops that we have had uh, throughout the years on very known horror movies out there. I'm sure that list is a lot longer than what we came up with. So please feel free to share in the comments your favorite cop from your favorite horror movie. But that's what we have. Marco's like no women. Well, that, yeah, well the horror movie genre has some... Uh, uh, how do I put this? They have some uh, catching up to do in some areas. You know, Clarice Starling is probably the most notable cop I would say, uh, in film. Now, on TV, it could be argued on some shows whether they're horror or not. I would say not. They're more crime dramas than anything else. You see a lot of women uh, cops, detectives. But in film, not so much. Just something to think about. Not so much. Not so much. Anyway, guys, thank you for tuning in tonight. Don't forget, tomorrow, our guest is going to be Nicole uh, Brown, uh, who was in The Strain, Saw 5. It's going to be a fascinating conversation. Tomorrow's show does start at 7 p.m. Eastern United States time. So if you want to catch it live, make sure to tune in at that time. It's going to be a great chat. We're going to be talking a lot about The Strain. We're going to be talking about Saw and a whole bunch of other movies that, uh, uh, sorry, not Nicole, Natalie Brown. Sorry, Natalie. Natalie Brown has been in. So really looking forward for our, looking forward to our show tomorrow with our guest, Natalie. We do have a lot more guests to announce. And without giving it away, without giving it away, I am working, I am really close to putting together a kick-ass panel. All right, I'm not going to spoil it right now. I'm almost there, almost there. I just need confirmation from one more guest, and I am putting together a kick-ass panel of three guests from a recently released horror thingy. <laughs> to not give it away, uh, it's going to be amazing. You're you're not going to want to miss this one when I do announce it. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm just coordinating schedules. Anyway, guys, stay safe. Take care. I'll be back tomorrow. And until tomorrow, remember, always stay walking. Good night.